After the Affair podcast with me, Luke Shillings, is here to help you process, decide, and move forward on purpose following infidelity. Together, we'll explore what's required to rebuild trust not only in yourself, but also with others. Whether you stay or leave, I can help. And no matter what your story, there will be something here for you. Let's go. Hello and welcome to the After the Affair podcast. I'm Luke Shillings, your host, and you're listening to episode number 69. Yes, that's 69. I've saved this one because this week we're talking to sex expert Leanne Cordingly. Now, this conversation was a little bit tough, actually. I, I felt uncomfortable at times, which is quite strange given the topic that I deal with and the kind of conversations that I have with people all the time. So let's get straight into it and I hope you enjoy. Hello Leanne and thank you for joining us today on the After the Affair podcast. Hi Luke. And it's great to have you here. Um, would you like to share a little bit about yourself, what you do and Sure, absolutely. So thank you for having me, first off. Um, I am a certified sex coach. I think I'm the only certified sex coach in the East Midlands, actually. Um, And I help people, generally people in relationships, but single people as well. And I help them explore elements of their pleasure. So there might be a lot of things that, um, that, that can potentially impact somebody's pleasure. Trust issues, betrayal issues, being one of them um so i work with people generally on a one-to-one basis or in a couple's scenario or or more than a couple if that's if that's how the relationship style is um in person and online so what was it that yeah because it's not the most obvious of job roles like you say you're probably the only certified sex coach in the the area that you you work within at what point did you think that's what i want to do i want to become a sex expert well, my up in my other hat, I'm also an experienced yoga teacher. So I've been on my own yoga mat for um, more than 20 years. And I've been teaching yoga for about 10 years as well. Um, and I kind of come at my yoga teaching from more a pleasure-based um, perspective, really. So lots of people would come to my classes and they might have unhelpful feelings like stress or anxiety as, as well as you know physical discomforts as well um but my classes would be quite light-hearted we would have a lot of fun with them sometimes I'd you know just play games because I'm a children's yoga teacher as well so I'd sometimes I'd quite you know turn the a yoga class for the adults into a, a into a game um and I just I just know that with my passion for anatomy and physiology and the nervous system nervous system responses are a biggie for me so stress hormones um, can be quite damaging in, in the body which I'm quite sure you're aware but the the fact of the things are is that pleasure hormones can sometimes work in the opposite way but if you're in that space or if you're in that you know that you know sitting in the mud with an unhelpful thought or feeling it's quite difficult to get to the pleasure so I'm kind of coming at it from a two-pronged attack well okay interesting so with regards to the yoga, I'm just thinking, were you experienced, were there, were there many people coming to yoga who were self-judging? Yeah, absolutely. Lots of people would come and be very, um, very kind of quite self-conscious. 
you know, newcomers to yoga, you know, they would go straight to the back. They didn't want people looking at them, uh, very self-conscious from a body perspective um, and could be quite self-judgmental as well, you know, really beating themselves up if they couldn't touch the toes or, or, or things like that. But that's not really what it's about. Um, so that is a quality that I see in that, that's kind of in common with yoga students as well as sex coaching clients. And it's, it's quite tough. Yeah, I can imagine. The, the confidence that we require, particularly when it comes to our own self-body image, and I think everybody has some judgment about their own image in terms of what they, how they feel within their own body and how they perceive other people to judge their own body. Usually those perceptions are way off, but the, the fact that they, they still exist is, is very, very real. And, of course, you take that into the privacy of the bedroom and, well, everything's there is you know do we have sex with the lights off you know it's like what is it that's still and I, so I can really see this sort of the correlation between that at least that aspect of it i'm sure there's others as well of course so i'm thinking with many of the, many of the people that i work with and many of the people that i know that are listening to the podcast of course have experienced betrayal and whether they are trying to stay in the relationship where the betrayal happened and reconnect with their partner or that they have maybe that has now gone past they've separated moved on and they're now forming new relationships how do they you know where you know intimacy is a is a really sensitive thing for an individual and when you've been betrayed then of course you're left well it's it's about as vulnerable as most people can get absolutely at least you know what at least when there's a deeper connection okay it's one thing going out and maybe having like a one night stand but when you're actually starting to rebuild a relationship and rebuild that trust then what happens you know behind closed doors in the bedroom so to speak is a, a very delicate topic and you know and it's interesting that infidelity is quite taboo you know it's not something that we go and have a conversation about on the street likewise sex is kind of the same you know generally speaking i wouldn't have a conversation about sex with my mum for example you know there are certain topics that are just how that are more guarded than others so when we're coming into new relationships and these topics aren't well spoken about how do you help people break those barriers down so that they can become more comfortable yeah absolutely i mean there's there's as you rightly point out there's such a massive correlation between emotional intimacy and physical intimacy and whether a person chooses to to remain in a relationship or start a new physical relationship um the person who has been betrayed can have um can have huge issues about both emotional intimacy and physical intimacy and they're so closely interlinked so Having um, having a trust issue could could present in a number of different ways, and it's important to note at this stage, I'm not a therapist. So you know, I what I do is not therapy. It's you know, this is where we are now. Where do we want to get to? So working through those elements of, um, I suppose we could call them either stress or trauma after a betrayal. We've got to go really slowly. You know, um, one of the things and, and the other thing to mention as well is the other side of the coin. If somebody chooses to remain in a relationship with a person who has been the betrayer, if that's the terminology yeah. we use, um, 
they're going to have their own challenges with it, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. So, without, it's, a, it's a very unique position to be in mm-hmm. from, from, from they, both perspectives. Absolutely, because the betrayer might have guilt um, or remorse or things like that. And the body keeps score. Forgive me, but I can't remember the name of the author of the book. I think it might have been Peter Levine. The body keeps score. Oh, okay. oh the body keeps score. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these these kind of things, these big deal things can actually stay in the body if we don't process them properly. So obviously you might want to seek therapy for for having having that kind of an experience but the way that it can present for lots of people and, I, and i'm going to use i'm going to use a, a, like almost like a caricature um so i'm going to talk about a female who's been betrayed so she might be remaining in the relationship and she then you know it might take them a little while to get back to um finding physical intimacy um the brain is a powerful powerful thing so flashbacks ghostings or did you do that with them did this happen in that way as soon as you have an unhelpful thought like that boom that's it you're in your head and you're out of your body so it can be quite difficult to remain in touch with your pleasure sensations or you know or physical sensations um which is going to interrupt with any orgasmic potential if it's a guy um or somebody who's the proud owner of a penis then you know that might even present in erectile problems sure um so if it's if it's a guy if we're talking about heterosexual relationship um it there might there might be a struggle having penetrative sex if the guy doesn't feel able to trust the the woman so there's there's a whole host of different ways that it can affect both emotionally and physically in the body. So it's really, really stripping back and getting right back into very, very base level elements of consent. I think there's a real, um, again, a lot, a lot of what I see and from my personal experience as well is certainly in the early, early days for me is... Is, a, is a, that imagination of having imagining your partner with somebody else and then like, then like you say like you listed the, the kind of judgments you have about that it's like well was that sex better was it different what was it that they gave and provided that i didn't and you know was it because i wasn't skilled enough or experienced enough or was i too selfish or was i you know all of these quick judgments that again are often completely not completely but they're not anywhere near as realistic they're just that our brain creating all this, this these stories to try and well seems to end up beating ourselves up and often the case is like you say the it's the connection between the two people that can make the sex or the the, the intimacy much more significant and much more close and, and connected whereas if it might not actually be about the exact behavior of the physical act it might be just the connection that that person is having with the affair partner in that moment whether that's being driven by a genuine love building whether it's something more along the lines of limerence a bit of an infatuation a short term almost like a honeymoon type period that you get 
and beginning of all relationships, of course, where you're, you, you're sort of stimulated in all areas, which is then naturally going to lead on into the bedroom. But it's not actually a direct reflection of the physical act of sex with the affair partner versus the physical act of sex with your own partner. So there's a definite, certainly from what I've seen, there's definitely a, a difference there. And a lot of that is just down to that, that connection. So if you haven't got that trust, if you haven't got that feeling of safety and security with your partner, then, yeah, your ability to perform, arguably, you know, for, for a guy, like you say, right, heart dysfunction or, you know, just really not being able to, to get into the swing of things. And for a woman, I mean, I don't know, I'd love to sort of hear your thoughts on this, but I've, I've heard this phrase before. And this doesn't just apply to infidelity. This is probably more in the marriage state of, of to-do list sex, um, where maybe one partner has got a higher sex drive than the other, which is always going to be the case. There's always going to be some variation. I've been in relationships both on either ends of the scale. And it's always fascinating. I find it that if, if I was in a relationship with somebody with, let's say, a lower sex drive than me, then I would have this underlying belief that, well, if they just had sex more, everything would be all right. It would feel better. But then I've also been in a relationship where I've had the lower sex drive. And actually, I'm like, I don't want sex this much. <laughs> you know, it's like it's, it becomes overwhelming. And, it, and it's interesting that we always believe that it's a bit like the grass is always greener. You know, we always believe that the, the more or less would be better, depending on what our individual um, requirements or desires are in that moment, so to speak. Um, I'm just wondering how, when we we link the relationship between trust and physical intimacy, how do we, because like you say, we, we, we've got that imprint in our body where, like you say, the, the body keeps score. We've been hurt by the betrayal. We're now feeling this imprint in our body and we're, we're not really consciously aware of it because we're all in our heads, like you say, but the body's still saying, hang on, nah, I'm not letting you go. You know, I'm not, I'm not, this, this isn't happening now. And you spoke about actually like helping the person, helping the client just slow down. What does that actually look like? You know, if one partner wants sex, the other partner is feeling all of the things that we've just spoken about, that resistance, that body keeping the score. How do we actually start? What are some of the steps that could be taken to help somebody rebuild that step by step yeah sure i think um it's really important to note that everybody's libido is as unique to them as their fingerprint you know and there are so many factors that are involved in our our motivation for having sex our you know the reasons that we want to have sex our, our desire patterns so lots and lots of things can impact that so stress is going to be a factor some people, if they are feeling stressed out, it's their go-to to have some kind of sexual contact, either with a partner or with themselves. It's like, you mean like a dopamine hit? It's like just the yeah. scratch, it's that scratch, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then other people who are um, feeling effects of stress, it's the last thing they're going to want to do. And then couple that with... Um, the physical effects in in the body that we you know we covered earlier on it's i think for regaining trust and motivation for sex it really has to come down for communication 
So whether this is a relationship that is, you know, remaining or with a new relationship, if there's someone that's been betrayed, communication is even more key and also consent. So talking about, as I've just mentioned, you're talking from um, a heterosexual female perspective, having sex with a man, you can think of it as quite invasive. You know, so you're letting somebody into your body. And obviously on the flip side, you know, if you're a guy, you're going into somebody's body. That's that's what happens um, with penetrative sex, of course, which isn't the only sex. Um, so what's really important is if you mentioned the, the the kind of like the routine, the chore sex, the tick the box, you know, I you know I should have sex because they want to, which I think is quite common, particularly for women. Um so I think it's really important to get back to elements of consent, right? And the partner, for, for both genders, of course, the partner at any point can say, can we have a time out? Can we pause? Can we just, can we just take a step back a minute because uh, maybe I'm having a flashback or maybe something doesn't feel quite great at the moment. Can we step back? And literally just step back, you know, disengage sex, cuddle, talk, have a drink, you know, just re reconnecting on that emotional level. And like I say, this this goes for a partnership that is rebuilding or a new partnership. Because if you go into a new partnership, you're quite aware that your new partner was betrayed in their previous relationship. You're quite aware of that. So I think it's being absolutely crystal clear as as the the person who's been betrayed, crystal clear in your communication, and also having the opportunity to communicate in that way with your partner. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. I was wondering about the like the the timing in which that could occur, like the most effective. Because okay, I was I was I was driving home with my friend the other day and. We were, we were just chatting and I was saying oh, the, the, it started raining and I needed to use my window wipers and pull the lever and sure enough I run out of water or it's like just on the edge of like running out of water on the screen I'm thinking oh yeah anyway okay well I need to do that when I get home and then sure enough I get home completely forget about it because it's no longer in my mm-hmm. mind it's no longer my focus point focal point and then the next day I go out I pull my window wipers like oh <laughs> I've forgotten about it again. Okay, so you know, the ideally, in you know, in my mind, in that situation, the most logical thing to do would be to pull up to the nearest petrol station and just do it there and then, and have that com- have that conversation or that act, mm-hmm. if you like, with myself. So I'm thinking, like, in the in the, you know, because sex is for many people, it's not an easy thing to talk about at all, you know, and particularly when we've come to things like desire, or well, there's so much judgment. It's like, well, what I like, am I, am I comfortable sharing that with my partner? What if they think I'm whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they may think I'm weird, you know, I'm a bit creepy or I'm a bit this or a bit that, or maybe I'm a bit boring mm-hmm. or, you know, either, either, either end of the, of, the, of the spectrum. So like, logically, my brain is saying, well, solve the problem up front, have the conversation first, somehow get through that. And then at least when it comes to the act of sex, and if things maybe don't go as you thought that they might. I don't know whether it's a performance issue or however you want to describe that, it doesn't go in the way that maybe we'd expected or anticipated, then you can support each other in a way because you've already had the conversation. That seems like the most logical approach in my own mind. However, I think for a lot of people, the reality is that conversation doesn't happen. 
the sex happens, it's either fulfilling or, or let's assume it's not fulfilling or there's a performance issue or whatever it is. And then there's just shame rather than thinking, oh, I know, now's a, an appropriate time to discuss it. What went wrong? How can we resolve this for the future? Actually, it's more likely to be roll over, cover yourself up, get asleep or storm out or whatever, the, depending on the scenario. So it seems like at both ends of the scales, it's really tough. So I suppose the question is, how do we help people do that? Sure. How do we help people have those conversations? Sure. I think that for both, I'm, I'm talking about two scenarios here. One scenario is the recovering relationship and the other scenario is new relationship, but same okay. for both. And yeah. I advocate to all of my clients that making a regular check-in part of your routine part of your habit you know you might go to the gym three times a week or you might I don't know go go shopping on a Saturday afternoon whatever establishing that as one of the the tenants tenants what's wrong um of your relationship you know one of the pillars of your relationship is that once a week once a fortnight or something we will talk about sex and it doesn't have to be just this is terrible, this is terrible. And I know for a lot of the listeners now, that's very likely going to be their reality. But it's not always terrible. So you can open it up with, you know, how's it going? How's sex been for you this week, babe? Did you did you like it when we did X, Y, Z? Did you like it when we stopped in the woods or whatever, whatever it is? Um, this wasn't working for me, actually. Or I felt uncomfortable when blah, blah, blah um because of course when we go when we're in a, a sexual scenario we don't suddenly become mute so the word no is or stop or pause or something like that they are you know they're they're great things to have and they yes. and they're great a lot, people, a lot of people don't use them right yes so if you're in a if you're in a situation again I'm talking about heterosexual dynamics but of course there are lots of other dynamics but if there if you know the, there's a lady and she's having sex with her partner and all of a sudden she thinks I'm I'm out of my body I've gone into my head I've gone into this what if I'm too skinny what if I'm too fat and what if they did this with this person straight into the head they're disconnected from the body and they don't well, they, and they want to stop but they don't feel able to say it happens a lot it does happen a lot so the choice is to stop have a falling out to continue or to have a conversation about it you know outside of the bedroom but in the in the situation where they continue and they choose not to use their big red button stop then they can feel ashamed because they've gone they've kind of they've almost betrayed their own body the body didn't want to continue with the sex the body didn't want to have sex and i'm not obviously consent is a very very big deal and i'm not talking about anything that's non-consensual in you know in other terms but but you're not working in in a way that is in alignment with how your body feels because we all have this level of intuition don't we um we kind of know in our gut if something feels right for us in that moment you know we know if we're hungry we know if we need to sleep we know if we need a wee um so if we're not listening and we're denying what our body is actually saying that it wants 
then we can we can start to lose that connection with ourselves yeah 100 percent. and i think that 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 plays out in all areas you know well beyond the bedroom the this this idea that we like you say yeah, this is this coming back to that analogy you used earlier with the score mm-hmm. is the, the body keeps score of things that it, it likes or dislikes and you be yet you cognitively try to overcome that all the time mm-hmm. You're like, oh, i should be this i should be that this is how it should be and we start shutting ourselves all the time yeah our body's sort of like really resisting it and making us feel that discomfort but it's almost like there's a there's a gate in our neck sort of saying no not going to let that come through going to block that going to pretend it's not there and we all walk around like talking heads and we're just all walking heads and we're just this this all in our heads literally you know it's, it's, it's seems like an overused analogy but that really is the truth for for most people in most situations absolutely one of the things i like to help people with when it comes to rebuilding trust generally speaking you know when when trust is broken we put all of the onus initially on the other person like it's all about the other person breaking our trust and although that is true in most cases what becomes very apparent quite quickly is the lack of trust that we then start to form or recognize in ourselves because we now start questioning our own judgment so of course to help rebuild that trust then you need to really get to know yourself like really well really understand what it is that you want what you desire you mentioned desire before and and understand yourself on a level that isn't isn't necessary for other people to get involved at that stage and once you're comfortable with that and i'm talking on emotional level trust and relationships at the minute here rather than sex specifically but i'm interested in the correlation once you once you get confident and start to trust yourself then to be able to go out into the world and trust other people becomes way easier because you are open to it and you're not guarded in the same way because you know if you don't trust yourself you walk around double checking everything we've we've spoken about like communication and obviously you've mentioned desire but even as i'm sat here thinking it's quite interesting this because you know i'm i'm sort of like i'm feeling an element of discomfort just because of the topic which is kind of funny really you know thinking about the topics that i talk about they are very taboo topics and i don't feel any discomfort talking about infidelity and betrayal partly because i've done a lot of it and i've done a lot of exploration and i understand myself on that level very very well but it's almost like now we introduce this sexuality element and i'm like how well do i really know myself like how do i know really what i desire sexually mm-hmm. like really like maybe i have i've played the same pattern out for years or maybe i've people pleased a bit or maybe i don't know and it's like yeah i don't know myself maybe as well as i perhaps should or could so if i don't know myself how can i even begin to start to you know relay and communicate those expectations or requests desires however we want to look at that to others so i'd just be interested to know what your mm. take on that is yeah no there, there's 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 loads in there to unpack actually um i think we live in an age where there is so much information available to us and there's we are very very interested i believe in 
why we do the things we do the psychology of why we do what we do and you've just said yourself you know am I people pleasing am I doing this and, and we sometimes can have a tendency to overanalyze again being in our heads you know being in this in this cognitive function so one of the things that I would hugely advocate for anybody who finds them myself included I'm an overthinker um so hugely advocate for anybody who considers themselves to be an, an overthinker or anybody really um to get back into the body so you might be familiar with the with the term somatics yes so as anybody saying somatic it's just it's the felt sense it's the felt self the body the the, the description of emotions that's and there's a bit more that's right yeah in a nutshell that's that's what it is so getting back in touch with your felt sense rather than your intellect sense so you can know something to be true because you know it with your brain you can know something to be true because you know it because it feels good in your body so a simple exercise if you will think of a food that you really really don't like right so a food that you really it, it really gives you the ick it's uh, it's never going on your plate blah, that kind of thing can you feel that in your body where do you feel it so some people may feel that in their stomach some people might have um kind of almost visceral reactions of like gagging reflex yeah exactly yeah so you know what that feels like you know that that is a no whereas if you think of what's your favorite food something that will make you salivate when you you know just thinking about it wish i had that on my plate right now you, you're grinning yep. from ear to ear and, <laughs> yeah so where do you feel that in your body is there anywhere yeah. that you feel yeah definitely yeah i mean there's, there's initially there's the I, I can literally feel the the salivating like in my mouth there's definitely that there's like a and there's and it's much more of a, a tingle and a lightness around my jaw and the upper part of my throat and then like a warmth i suppose probably in my in my torso mm. if you like there's a general overall thing it's like oh yes mm. I'm, I'm thinking of like a well initially i went with cake and then i moved to like pie and then and then actually there's quite a lot of things that i could <laughs> quite happily say in front of me <laughs> so this is so this is an example yeah. of this is an example of somatics, like learning what is my body's reaction. So you can know in your head that you like cake or pie. You can know this in your head, but actually your body is knowing this. So you mentioned about how to trust your, what you want, what you desire, what, what how you feel. And this is a great place to start because our body will give us these messages. And I'm really I'm talking from a yoga teacher hat right now, but um, yeah, sure. our body will give us these messages if something is a yes, if something is a no. If something is a no, we generally perhaps might feel a contraction. And what I mean about that, um, you know, like when you're cold, you're like, oh, you draw in, you yeah. draw right into yeah. your center, you know, your center line, your midline, you're keeping everything in something annoys you or if something disgusts you you might have that same reaction you're closed you're tight hard that kind of thing if something feels appealing to you a beach a blue sky a blue you know a sunny blue sky music and already i'm talking with my hands my body's feeling open 
you know, because yeah. that's where growth and change can happen is the open rather than the contraction. And that's a perfect analogy to think of with what happens with our bodies with sex. And again, I'll use a hetero woman again as an example, if I may. If if a woman is not feeling like she wants to have sex, what's going to happen? You know, I'm talking about anatomy and I hope the terminology is okay. But talking about anatomy, her vagina might not actually be lubricated, naturally lubricated. Might feel quite tight. Some people might have issues with pain during sex because their body fitness, there's something that's there that's, you know, really contracting them, pushing them on. And there might be a bit of a dissonance as well. Brain might be saying, well, actually, I want to have sex. My, my body isn't wanting to. Same can happen, yeah. same can happen for a man as yeah. well, it's obviously. Just, you know, it's almost like a, it's like a, well, I suppose it's a cognitive dissonance, really. Mm. It's, there's, there's, there's one thing, one, one wanting or believing that it wants one thing. Mm -hmm. And then the other, the body, in this case, is saying, hang on, no, this doesn't feel right. Mm. That's and we, and we use that either intuition, gut feeling, mm. or however we want to describe that yeah. that felt sense in the soma. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So to come back to okay, your so earlier question of how, yeah, how do we get to this, it's, it's quite often the body won't shout these things at you. This example with the foods, that was a shout. Yeah. You've, maybe you felt it in your body as a shout. Well, quite often some of these things won't be a shout because our brains are, can be quite loud. They can be very, very emphatic and like you're switching you know, the override switches on. You know, body's like, oh, don't want to do this. Brain, no, we're cracking on. We're going to do this. We start to almost turn the volume down on what the body is saying. So the way to turn that volume up is just to start to notice when the body starts. It might just be a whisper. It might be a whisper. And just notice it. And one of the greatest ways to do that, and of course I'm talking is talking to you from my yoga teacher hat, drop into your body, physical, physical practices. It might be a meditation practice, being really still and quiet or focusing on your breath. Your brain will probably not like that. Your brain will probably say, your knee's itching, you're uncomfortable, move. What are we having for dinner tonight? Oh, don't forget to buy carrots, that kind of thing. Your brain will probably not want to be still. But then you start to kind of, when you move through it, you start to be able to hear when the body starts to whisper at you. And that whisper can start to turn up. So then if you, if you know those reactions in your body when you're when you're experiencing a no, whether that's a shout or a whisper. Listen to it, and you're starting to build trust in yourself. You're starting to trust what your body is telling you. Because we are intelligent people, you know. Every I'm sure your listeners are massively intelligent, and I'm sure they've done a hell of a lot of research about this topic. I like the idea of using the, the volume analogy. Um so if we imagine like all the information that's available to us at any given point is distributed throughout our body, we think of like the 80-20 rule. 80% of the information is actually in the body and 20% of it is in the head. But when it comes to the speaker, the bit where all the information comes out, well, 80% of it comes out of the head and only 20% out of the body. So we're always in this like 
dichotomy almost where we're where all the information that we actually need to pay attention to is in the body yet we're actually allowing all the noise to come out of our heads literally mm-hmm. through, through our speaking and our ideas and our thinking and really we need to just just offset that more intentionally mm. i suppose and like i say to thinking about even even as you're talking about the 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 meditation I, i'm part of a, a, a men's coaching group and we we meet weekly and at the beginning of every session we do like a grounding exercise you know we do it over zoom you know there's usually like half a dozen of us or so and we do a grounding exercise just for five minutes and every single time i forget what it was like to all of a sudden pay attention to like, oh my oh my shoulders are actually crunched forward oh i've not really noticed how i was sat or i was slightly leaning with a bit more weight to one side than the other and it's like is there anything my body needs right now I say, yeah there's a bit of a something here and i need to sort of just loosen my shoulder or shake my arm and you know actually really paying attention to what the body is actually offering in that moment and like i say bringing it back to the breath allowing those thoughts to come in you know we'll hear for anybody who's done any kind of meditation one of the the basic things that you learn to begin with is thinking about thoughts a little bit like clouds they're just passing by and you can allow things that they can come in you don't need to judge them and they can pass through and move on Mm -hmm. and then the next one comes in and that's okay and you might have these ideas oh i need to go to the shops or i need to do this for the kids or i need to do that and that's okay they can be there we're not we're not trying to get rid of them we're just going to allow them to to pass by and, and and just offer ourselves that that moment that space and i think as well it doesn't take much you don't need to allocate huge quantities of time to do this in fact you can often do it as a secondary activity to some extent you can sometimes be even if you're out walking and you just you know if i, mean, I run and i remember trying to actually almost like actively meditate while running and it was surprisingly effective you know, I was able to sort of like just drop into this zone and just like just concentrate on what my body was feeling and concentrate on my breath and really paying attention to the sounds around me in the outside world. And and it's just so you just feel so much more connected. And so it's like you don't that 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 cognitive dissonance that we just spoke about, that that element where you've got like one, two opposing thoughts or two opposing feelings, they come together. And then you can be much more intentional and you can actually then make decisions without feeling like you're fighting yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I'm glad you mentioned, I'm glad you mentioned the running. I I also run for that reason. And, you know, for some people that are listening, they might hear the word meditation go, Oh no, that's not my bag. Doesn't have to be, it might be cycling. It might be yoga. It might be, I don't know, crafting or knitting or something that's you're really present in that moment. And it, and it, you're not going to continue to do it if it doesn't feel joyous to you. So my thing about talking about pleasure is noticing that and acknowledging that when we're talking about pleasure, it's not just sexual pleasure. So if we start to recognize the smaller pleasures that I, and I like to use the, um, you know, we, we use the term trigger all the time. Oh, this is triggering me. This is triggering me. I like to kind of like flip the coin and well, what is causing a glimmer in me? What's the glimmer? You know, it might be lacing your trainers up, going out for a run. It might be, um, I don't know, doing some crochet. It might be doing a Sudoku or something like that. What is giving me that glimmer? And as soon as we start to notice those little tiny glimmers, 
we can start to notice bigger glimmers turning the volume button up again. And that might then come into, well, what does my body need right now? My body, I, I feel like I want, I, I, I'd like a massage. I'd like the sensation of touch. That would be, that would feel good in this moment. That would be a big glimmer. And then we can move on to, you know, maybe moving into sexual pleasure because this thing has to be really, really incremental. When we're recovering from such a tough time, it has to be incremental. You can't just jump back in with both welly boots and um, just, just expecting the physical element of a relationship, whether it's a continued relationship or a new one, it's going to be different because our brains are so powerful. But then our nervous systems are also so powerful. So perhaps putting that little bit of trust back into your sensations, the glimmers, the pleasures, to start to increase that capacity for pleasure. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense, it does, yeah. And I think, as you were talking earlier, um, it was coming back up to me this, you know, we are kind of hardwired to pay attention to the negative mm -hmm. we are you know and it makes sense because you can only become so dead it's like you know things can only get so bad yeah. whereas actually so that is pretty important from a survival perspective to avoid pain mm -hmm. to avoid discomfort because you know it could be dangerous mm -hmm. generally speaking in the modern world that's not true but you know a couple hundred thousand years ago saber two tigers caves the dark no food all the things very very real and of course we're still running on that same kind of firmware mm -hmm. we're still running on the same kind of software that we were many many thousands of years ago um, but more superficial things are affecting our judgments so i think it's the only way to overcome that is to be very conscious about paying attention to the positive because it's very easy to notice the negative feelings like really easy. Mm. Like we don't have to do anything. Yeah, because we don't like just them. Exactly. They, they feel yeah, not just, nice in our body. Yeah. And they're overwhelming and they take all of the space. They fill they fill the space within our body. And then there's like you have to be very, very conscious to actually and I'm not saying that in the sense that it's a difficult thing. It's just it, it's a choice. Yeah. It's like you can like you say, you, you you offered me the the thought of, and I'm sure the listeners played along as well, you offered me the thought of a, a food that I like, and the feeling was there instantly. You know, so it's not like we're not capable of it. We can find the positive emotion and that positive sensation very, very quickly and very easily. But if we don't consciously do it, all we think about is the everything that can hurt us mm. or that's uncomfortable, or we just we just don't like. Okay, so just before we finish, I wanted to just tie back up a couple of other things. We'd spoken, obviously, about desire, and we'd spoken a little bit about consent. And I think it, to, certainly from my perspective, it seems appropriate to tie that back in as well with, like, boundaries, mm -hmm. like when these things aren't met. So I always have spoken quite a lot about boundaries on the podcast, generally speaking, from an emotional sense. Mm -hmm. And I'd just like to hear what your thoughts and how you help people with with boundaries in the sexual sense um well i would i would use one a similar kind of exercise to, to the to the food um i think you know if you are if you are stipulating a boundary we're telling people how we want to be loved or shown affection to if that is 
crossed or breached, we're going to feel that we're going to feel that closing, that contraction, that tightness. So being able to establish boundaries, especially in the scenario that, you know, a lot of your listeners are probably going to be in, the boundaries have been breached in a, you know, what feels like in a horrendous way. So we need to reestablish those boundaries in a way that feels good for you. So it's a really great thing. Just sit on your own and actually just consider, well, what is okay for me? And if we're talking about the early stages of repairing a relationship or the early stages of a new relationship, what is okay for me? And for some people, penetrative sex might be like, absolutely not. I I am not there yet. Right now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable sat on the sofa with an arm around you or maybe right. hands held the street right but right now that's as far as i'm comfortable with yes and and following and i think the tricky thing with boundaries generally is that it's very easy to have these ideas about what we might consider acceptable and then we might be able to recognize when it's crossed when the boundary has been violated but it's then very difficult to follow through on that commitment we made to ourselves to begin with because mm-hmm. now the situation is like well it's like yeah i mean i'm saying nobody can see me as i'm on the platform here but it's like I'm, I'm i'm demonstrating the idea that i'm trying to speak but nothing's coming out sure sure you know and so and again i think that brings that loosely ties back to how where we started with the sort of the confidence okay we were talking about body confidence at that point but again that confidence in yourself and like like Leanne just said, is like making sure that you are clear on where you're, what they, even what they are. Because mm-hmm. actually most people don't sit down and think about it themselves. Like what actually is the point that's this is okay, this is not okay. Mm. And sometimes you um, might not even be aware of that until yeah. something's actually happening. Until it happens. You know? It's like, oh, oh, I didn't even know I was uncomfortable yeah. with that. And, 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 yeah. and for in the, in the flip side as well, you know, you might say, Absolutely. No, penetrative sex off the menu. I don't want to do that. I don't, you know, that's not okay for me. You might have a scenario where that just happens and you think, oh, that's a nice surprise. But, you know, obviously everything must be always enthusiastically consensual, obviously. Um, So I mentioned about getting back into your body for, you know, sensations, uh, meditation for starting to listen to the glimmers and starting to find the things that feel pleasurable for you. But in terms of boundaries and working out what actually feels good, I can highly recommend journaling. Mm-hmm. Either finding a trusted trusted friend or a therapist or a counsellor or a coach, um, just working out and that brainstorming, well, is this okay? You might have a yes, no, maybe list. Is this okay? No, not really. Is this okay? Yeah, that's fine. Um, having that kind of thing. Pen and paper. For some people, personally, it works fantastically for me. If I write something down, I'm 100% going to, it's going to stick better for me. So yeah. that might be something really good to work for for your listeners. Um, so establishing boundaries in your own mind and even combining the mindful aspect and the journaling aspect write something down 
is this a boundary close my eyes okay how does that feel how does that how does that feel like thinking about somebody stroking my neck yeah i'm feeling a bit like no that's clearly that's a that's maybe that's a maybe or maybe it's a no so I don't know if that was if that answers your question. Yeah. No, it does. It does perfectly. Yeah, and I, and I think it, it, it I think it, it ties in with all of the things that we've discussed, both in terms of trust, in terms of self confidence, in terms of setting boundaries. It's about you figuring out what is right for you first before you go out into the world. Okay, there are going to be occasions, like you said, where something might happen that you hadn't anticipated and you hadn't expected. So, okay what i offer my clients in those situations where sometimes a situation arises that they haven't expected then what we look at doing is say okay well i'm going to have a boundary for myself about how i'm going to deal with a situation that arises that i didn't expect Mm -hmm. even if i don't know what that situation is yet if i'm found in a position where all of a sudden i feel discomfort even though i wasn't expecting it and it's not like i've got a set number of i haven't got a set rule about how i'm going to handle this situation the situation itself is the fact that it was unexpected mm-hmm. and start to say, okay, well, in this case, if I recognize that, I'm just going to give myself a moment. I'm maybe just going to exit the room and give myself five minutes or whatever it is, or just ask, you know, I just need to pause for a minute. Yeah. Whatever, depending on the thing. So even though you can't prepare for every individual, every individual possible scenario, you can create like a, a, a catch all for those moments when you haven't had the opportunity to think it through, but you've bought yourself that time and space so that you can then go back and, like Leanne said, add a journal or one of the things I recommend is a thought download, which is a very similar process that I talk about in the podcast. And yeah, and actually then start to get those things in line. Yeah. So that they're, okay. Yeah. I mean, every, everybody has access to a pause button, regardless of the scenario, you know, you know, that the old, um, the old adage, you know, count to 10, take a breath. hit the pause button take a deep breath how does it feel in your body does it feel good does it feel not good you can extend that pause you know and then you can make a better decision rather than being reactive if you're in a pause situation um and the other thing that i just kind of want to touch on for your listeners is the reaffirmation of physical boundaries as well so obviously we're talking specifically about sex really aren't we and that is a consensual breach of your physical boundaries okay so affirm your boundaries and for, you know for your listeners like touching your arm you know, touching your legs keeping your hands in contact with your body reaffirming your physical bodily boundary could actually be a useful exercise and you know whether listeners are recovering a relationship in a new relationship or they are on their own. Every single person is entitled to physical pleasure. I'm talking. I am talking about self-love. I'm talking about masturbation. Reaffirm your pleasure boundaries. What does it feel like? Because you can you can use your own you can use your own body to comfort yourself. Strokes, hugs, you know, genital stimulation, whatever you want to call it. It's there. It's available for you, and you deserve pleasure in your body. And that is a great way to reaffirm those physical boundaries before you move on to a new relationship or before you make that decision to um, repair. Exactly, yeah. It, it really, again, it's reinforcing this idea of getting our own foundations in place mm. first in all areas 
And then that gives us the confidence to, or at least it plays a role in the confidence to then go out and start, you know, we, at least we, we know our own limits. And OK, it doesn't mean that they're fixed forever. Mm-hmm. It means that they we can adjust them over time. We're not saying, well, that's how it is, you know, till, till my grave. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, this is where I am right now. Mm-hmm. And I get to reassess and modify those as and when I like. Mm-hmm. But I'm doing it from a place of kindness for myself and love for myself and not because I'm feeling pressured or influenced or affected by any external thing or person. Yeah. It's all about my choice and because of what feels right. Yeah. And also not not setting boundaries in a retaliatory manner. Like a absolutely. like a punitive it be, it be a, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So repairing a relationship is, you know, is sometimes probably harder than starting anew. Um perhaps um so it's it's not a punitive well, they're all tough uh, well, well i'm absolutely <laughs> sure yeah but i think i think one of the problems people have in relationships is expecting them to be easy like actually there's obviously lots of pleasure and fun in relationships and you can form very good bonds but to to think that we could go like six decades potentially with the same person and it all to be happy and roses the whole of the time is just an unrealistic expectation yes there are going to be peaks and troughs yes. okay it's going to look very different for very different people but when we have an expectation of what the perfect relationship looks like and how it should feel mm-hmm. then the, any time it falls short of that it feels like we failed or we're not doing good enough and that's when the, the negative emotions start to go i'd love to keep talking leanne but we are going to have to wrap it sure. up trade. Uh, so but before we go would you be able to share how people can work with you what to do and all the things thank you and um, people can very easily find me on places like linkedin or instagram i'm there under my name leanne accordingly uh, which is also my website address elderly awn accordingly.co.uk which i'm sure you'll put in show notes <laughs> um so i work with both individuals or people in relationships on their own or in their in their relationship as well so if any if i can provide any support for recovering intimacy with a new partner or with a recovering partner then yeah that they're more than welcome to get in touch lovely well thank you ever so much for joining us i feel like i have lots more questions and maybe we'll do a second episode at some point if you are open to it but uh, yeah. for now thank you very much thank you very much lee thank you Well, there you have it. We have successfully put one topic, one taboo topic, in bed with another and covered the complicated and sometimes frightening topic of sex, particularly after infidelity, where rebuilding that connection is such a difficult thing for for many of us to do. And it's a journey that we all have to navigate in some way, shape or form whether that be with our existing partner or with a future one. One of the things that I really took away from today's conversation with Leanne was how a lot of the work and methods and ideas that she uses to help her clients better understand their own bodies and understand their own wants and desires and needs mirror that of the emotional conversations that we've had so many times on the podcast over the last year and a half. I think when we can recognize this common pattern in a variety of areas of our lives, it helps them almost compound. They 
add on top of each other, literally, in a sense that we can use these little bits, these little bits that we've learnt in one place and apply it to another and improve every area of our life. Based on everything that we've discussed in today's episode, I have a question. How can sex after infidelity be better than it was before? What can you do? What can you take away from today's episode to implement in your life to improve sex after betrayal? So thank you. Thank you for joining me again on today's episode. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here. And I can't wait to speak to you all once again next week.